Together, we can navigate through life's ups and downs with all of the vulnerability, compassion, and openness that we can muster, celebrating our bravery in all of it. Along with the help of guests from all walks of life, we'll discover new truths while doing some unlearning, and we'll gain valuable tools for becoming who we already are, while also uncovering our divine gifts. I'm Jade Bryce, and I'm so thankful that you're here. All right, I'm so excited to dive into today's topic with our guest. The topic is co-parenting, which has been one of the top stressors in my own life as a parent. Single parenting is by far one of the hardest things I've ever done. There's so much to navigate in that alone. And then you add the co-parenting aspect, and that can be really overwhelming. I'm hoping we all find some relief in this conversation today with this guest. He is a single parent life coach with an incredibly powerful and interesting story. He has been co-parenting for seven years and has two amazing sons. He coaches parents one-on-one in groups and has created Single Parenting on Purpose, which is a place for single parents and co-parents to learn and grow together. He helps single parents lose guilt, shame, and overwhelm, and also helps people create healthy boundaries. I'm so excited to talk with him today. Please help me welcome Jay Skibbins to Untamed and Unashamed. Hi. Hi, how's it going? Good. I'm... uh, I said this in the intro, but co-parenting is probably the biggest stressor in my life um, as a parent. Uh, Being a single mom is definitely one of the hardest. I mean, I work like four jobs, but (laughs) it is the hardest job that I do because, um, you know, not only is it the most important, it's the one that matters the most. But it's like, it's the one that like I care the most about. And it's the one that like feels the the least forgiving you know? Um, and then to add, and and just being like the only hand on deck as a single mother can feel really, really overwhelming. But then to add co-parenting on that is it just, it's a whole nother ball game. So I've been really desiring to get someone on the show about this because I, I, uh, I have so many people that tell me that they deal with issues around this. So, and I've, I've had a lot of responses from the listeners about this subject. So I do have so many questions for you and I'm really excited to dive in. But first, I'd love for you to share your story on your own single fatherhood journey and what led you to become a coach in this area. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, I appreciate uh, just you having me on. And I think we kind of touched on it in the messages, but like just your your energy is like attractive. And just I know that the people that are going to listen to and follow you are going to be able to hear this type of thing because it is hard. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't I think that anything that you know you would touch on. It's not ever complicated, but that doesn't make it easy. Right. The truth right. is is never messy. The truth is always very simple but it can be maybe the hardest thing that we have to do to face. So we'll, we'll touch on that a lot. But as far as like my, my journey, I think that I was uniquely designed to do this work. Like, I think that that's what truly sets me apart. Like I grew up with a single mom. 
you know, like my dad wasn't around whatsoever. I met him apparently three times. The first time I was, I was a baby. Didn't remember that, obviously. Uh, the next time was like on a porch when I was seven. And then when his dad died, when I was like 12 or 13. So like very isolated. I wasn't the kid who like waited at the window for dad to come home. It was just very like dad. There was no dad. Like a dad wasn't even a word, right? Like it wasn't yeah. somebody. It was mm-hmm. other people had dads, not me. Um, mm-hmm. And that's actually something I'm working through right now. <laughs> so that that yeah. hits home. Um, but and it's a it's a it's like layers. It's like I've I'm never. I feel like I'm constantly healing my father wound. It's always in layers. So yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I'm I'm not sure what your relationship is, but like you know, being a dad myself, like literally everything that I do every day is uncharted territory, right? Like mm-hmm. I've never, I, I didn't see this yeah. growing up. So everything that I'm doing, I had a mom who did it, but like, you know, I can't be a mom and she couldn't be a dad. Like she tried mm-hmm. and I love my mom and she's, she's who give, gave me love. Right. And, but she couldn't be a dad. And now that I'm in the thick of it, it's very enlightening, very, uh, humbling to to be on this journey, um, but I think that you know another thing that sets the co-parenting stage for me is that like we weren't married, like this wasn't uh, a a special union that like you know we really dedicated. We were friends with benefits, like it was a highly toxic, highly sexual relationship that I was seeking out needs, she was seeking out needs, and we matched very very well sexually and not much else um so you know long story short like I kept I I couldn't hold boundaries I couldn't say no I couldn't uh I couldn't stay away you know even though it felt gross it felt bad at times I knew that I should like I knew that I could be doing better or like putting myself in a better position um we and like she ended up pregnant and then, you know, that changes things. Uh, it was just, it went from a friends with benefits to a co-parenting situation. Um, and, uh, you know, we weren't the type of people that like we thought we could make it work. Like we just, it was very clear that this wasn't a relationship. It wasn't a union. Um, but then we ended up having another, like she ended up pregnant again. And, uh, there's just like, there's no way to articulate the level of emotion that like comes from going through things like that. Like the first time it was shock. And like, I feel like, you know, my future was ruined. Right. Like, I felt like mm-hmm. despair. The second time mm-hmm. there's so much anger, like we made the same mistake again, you know, like it just, mm-hmm. it felt it, there was a lot of anger between us and we projected it at each other a lot. Um, and then when the boys, I had two boys, when they were like 15 and 30 months, I found out that they weren't biologically mine, like through, so it's a whole story, but like, you know, I found out that they weren't biologically mine. So there's like emotions that come with that of like the identity that I had created, the, the relationship between her and I. So like it took, it took a long time. And I feel like, there was a lot of resentment. There was a lot of hate. There was a lot of 
just heavy, heavy emotions that I carried around for years. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, well, somehow we were always able to like put our own stuff aside and like the boys have always had a good life in my opinion. Like we, they haven't been used as like pawns or, you know, weaponry. Um, mm-hmm. They've lived a pretty charmed life as far as they can tell. Uh, but mm-hmm between her and I, it was messy. And uh, it really wasn't until, honestly, until I started telling this story, like on Instagram, online, that like I really had to take a really hard look in the mirror and how I was telling it, because she was the bad guy. You know, when I would tell it before, she was, I got got to blame her for years Mm. for what she did to me. And I've like one of the biggest things that I've been able to let go of and that has completely changed my life is like not blaming her and not holding that against her. And that has been mm-hmm. freeing, like incredibly freeing. Yeah. So, I mean, that's like the, <laughs> I feel like that's like the shortest possible version for, but I think that that yeah. helps. And now I have like primary care, like they're with me most of the time. Like, it's just like, wow. so I feel like, I like when I say I'm uniquely designed to do this, I understand like not the societal plight per se of, of single motherhood, but like I'm the one like I is in me that I'm thinking about their emotions. I'm thinking about like the day to day. I'm thinking about what we usually identify as a single mom caretaker role. That's me. And like they get to go have fun with mom. And like now that works. Like now it's like, cool. I'm glad that they get to go like just unwind every other weekend and then in the summers it's 50 50 but that was something I struggled with for a long time was like the the burden how unfair it was like yeah there's there's a there's been a lot of a lot of things a lot of growth yeah thank you for sharing all of that um it's in, it's incredible and and they're you know I I want to celebrate um the role that you're playing for them because you're breaking that cycle even with boys that are not biologically yours. Like you had a father that was not present and then you're choosing to be a father. Um, and I believe that the true father archetype is a father to all children, not just to their biological children. So it's really beautiful that you've stepped into that role. And, um, I know also that when we step into roles like that and we break generational curses like that, there is a grieving layer of, um, like we're so happy that our kids are getting that, but there's this grieving layer of like a new, like it's a different type of realization of what we didn't have, you know? Um, and I know for me growing up with a single mother as well, without a father, um, I only saw my father, father a handful of times as well. And it was around the same, same ages, oddly as yours. The last time I saw mine was right before my 13th birthday. And it was pretty, um, it was pretty wounding. And I remember saying like, I, uh, in, in, in the wounding, you know, without even really knowing what was happening on a nervous system level, I remember saying like, I will never ever trust him again. I will never let him in again. And so there was a a deep, deep father wound there. Um, but there was also this with that, there was this fear of 
how, like I watched how it affected my mother to be a single mother. And so there was this fear of like, I will do whatever it takes to not be a single mother. And then here I am being a single mother. (laughs) And, um, I, you know, I, um, I enjoyed hearing that you were, um, you feel uniquely, I think you said uniquely created Mm -hmm. for this role. Um, because that's how I feel in my work as well when it comes to helping people heal their relationship to pleasure and merging their sexuality with their spirituality because of what I went through. So it's really beautiful to, um, to hear you say that like that pain, I guess, turned into your purpose and that, um, you know, the, the cliche, the drama to the Dharma, you know, all of that. So really beautiful and celebrating all of that. Um, so I love to just start off with a basic question and then kind of get into the more personal ones, but maybe like a first basic question would just be, what are some basic co-parenting tips um, for a bit more stress-free of an experience? Um, well, the, the first one is, is going to be key and people have to learn and have to accept. They have to complete the breakup. So many times I'll hear a co-parent come to me and say like, oh, we promised to do this for the kid or we promised that the divorce wouldn't impact them or we promised. The we is dead. Like we have to allow that death, that completion of that relationship to happen so that we can focus on ourselves. Because maybe in the future, you will get to another version of that we, the co-parenting we, right? But you have to allow the romantic the the like this like the things the beliefs that you came into the relationship with of what you should be what they should be as a husband as a father as a mother as a wife whoever they are you have to let go of those things because so many people are stuck in that area of like oh they should do this or if they respected me they would do this and it's just this is now your ex like you have to accept the relationship, all of it, it did not work. So holding on to the we, the the us, it's a it, you have to allow it to die. You have to allow that completion to happen so that something mm-hmm. new can be created. I would say that's mm-hmm. like to me the number one thing. Yeah. And like to like that, it just it can be hard. So it's funny because, you know, you'll ask me different questions and people ask me in the DMs all the time, like, what do you do if, you know, they're late all the time? What do you do if they're manipulating the kids? What do you do if they're lying? And the, the root of every answer is going to be the same. You have to learn how to process your emotions. Like you have to learn how to process your emotions because when you attach your emotions to their words, to their actions, then you attach your peace to what they decide. And if you're attaching your peace, your your energy to somebody else, especially your ex, especially a co-parent, especially somebody who's experiencing their own emotions right now, that's mm-hmm. a that's a slippery slope. That's a that's a volatile place to attach yourself. So, yeah. the, to me, what I you know what my clients they they are doing a daily mindset work. They are emotionally dumping every day they are filling their bag which is like brags affirmations gratitude like it's you know i i i have to be careful about what i say about like documentation and there's you know people who have obviously been through abusive situations and there's times that you know there's certain things that you should do but what i will always recommend is like as hard as you're working to 
to prove that they're a bad person or to win your case, how like can you say that you can match that with how much you're pouring into yourself is like looking at your wounds, looking at the times that you betrayed yourself as many times as you're looking at how many times they betrayed you because you have no control over the amount of times that they'll betray you. But you have a lot more control over how many times you betrayed yourself. And it's almost without fail that like when I talk to somebody, we talk and it's like, yeah, there were times that you wanted to walk away. There were times that you knew there were times that intuition was saying like, Hey, <laughs> like this isn't it or, you know, and we have power over looking at that. Yeah. You know, and that's not to blame. That's not to cast like judgment. It's, mm-hmm. it's an empowering thing to be like, okay, I did seek out this relationship to fill a void or to learn a lesson or to complete mm-hmm. like a healing of a wound. Now that that lesson is completed or now that I'm faced with it or now that, you know, I'm, I'm have to look in the mirror, I can make new choices. So to me, it's like we've got to learn how to empower our, empower ourselves through that emotional process, because if, once we have control over our emotions, their impact diminishes like so much. Like it's like it's not even like we take the power back like in an imbalanced way. It's just mm-hmm. that we stop giving away our power. Mm-hmm. And that is key. Yeah. Once you stop giving away your power, everything changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Um, yeah, it reminds me. Uh, I attended this trauma institute for a while, and they talked about how, um, like, a victim needs a perpetrator, and vice versa. And so, like, if you are to step out of the role of the victim, um, the perpetrator can actually no longer exist. Right. Um, and that's, that kind of goes with an internal thing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, cause we all have an inner victim and an inner perpetrator, but, uh, yeah. And, and, and for those who like, like are, th- they choose and they must be living in this perpetrator. If you're no longer allowing yourself to be the victim, then they will go find another victim ultimately. Right. Um, but yeah, it reminded me of that. And, and I do think it's so important that, um, I I do think self-responsibility is, is so key. Um, so thank you. Thank you for that. Um, all right. For the nitty gritty, the, the dark and the dirty. (laughs) Um, all right. So, I'm, I'm curious, like you, I know you've talked about like walking on eggshells mm. and things like that. Um, if your co-parenting partner, I know this happens with a lot of people tends to be, um, and you know, this kind of is a blurry line with that victim and perpetrator, but if they tend to be a punisher, um, like when they don't get their way, if they, um, maybe they're trying to, I don't know maybe they haven't let go of the relationship and they're trying to get, um, you know, get back together with you or they're trying to invoke a certain response, whatever it is. And they're not getting their way. Um, and when they don't get their way, they punish you, whether it's, um, blocking you while they have their kids and then they're, they have the kids for five days and you have no like way of even contacting or hearing from them. Um, what are some tools for that when, when it's like that type of dynamic? Well, okay. So there's, there's several things there. And number one, what the way I've kind of talked about it is that whenever they're giving you their raw unprocessed emotions, when they're throwing a tantrum, when they are, like you say, punishment, 
um, to me, that's their raw hamburger. Like mm-hmm. that's just raw emotions. You're a bad mom. You're a deadbeat dad. You, you know, you're the reason we're breaking up when they're blaming or they're insulting or they're lashing out. What I like to say is like, we need space in that time. And the way to get space in my mind is use a one-liner. Like, it's okay. Like, okay, thanks for letting me know. Or, you know, that's not true just because you believe it. Or that's not something I'm willing to do or listen to anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. Because it's one of the things that I love about my program is that my, one of my biggest goals is to help you break down the boxes that we put people in. So if you're treating your kids one way and your co-parent a different way, break down those walls and treat them both as humans. And you'll see how aligned your behavior can truly be. Because mm-hmm. if your kid was acting that way, they say they didn't get their way. And they're lashing out. Oh, you're so awful. You never let me do this. You're the meanest. And they slam the door or they stomp away or they do whatever. How would you treat them versus how you treat your co-parents? Right. Mm-hmm. Do you go into that like heightened like, oh, no, what what? I, different people have different reactions to their co-parents. Some people like freeze up. Some people f- like uh, flight, you know, the the, tr- the, the fear responses. Um, mm-hmm. Some people lash back out. But we need to be able to give ourselves that space. And remember that this is their raw hamburger. So it's like, you know, maybe they blame you for, I just covered this, like being disorganized. But you're like a type A, high achieving, very organized. You got a color coded calendar. Like, you know that what they're saying isn't true. You know that what they're saying isn't true. You can look at like, they've given you this raw hamburger, just this pink meat. And you have the chance to like, look at it and say, oh, this is raw. Okay, thanks for letting me know. And you give it back to them. Or that's not true just because you believe it and you give it back to them. Like, hey, go cook this. Like, this is yours. This is not mine. This is like your, this is still yours. Mm-hmm. Because if we take that raw hamburger and we look at it I'm like, oh man, they're blaming me for being disorganized. I know that I'm not a disorganized person. But then we take the bite anyway. And then we get sick off of that raw hamburger. If we internalize it and we're like, oh no, like, what does that say about me? Am I disorganized? Like, what's like, why do they think that? And, or, you know, we try to go into, you know, disproving them or justifying. See, I'm, I'm organized with these things. I'm organized this way. Look at my calendar. Look, I've never missed the dates. I've never missed the appointment. It's like we've eaten that raw hamburger and we are now sick. Mm-hmm. We're now, our stomach is, you know, gurgling and all that stuff. And then what we want to do is point the finger back at them. See, you did this. You made me, you made me sick. You did this. Like, you're so mean. They're a narcissist. They're so awful. They're the bad guy. And it's like, well, you chose to eat it. Like you, that, that is a choice. That is where mm-hmm. self-empowerment, that is where self-leadership like takes place. So mm-hmm. when they do that, we have to remember, what they, like 99% of what they say is going to be about them. Because also mm-hmm. 99% about what we say is about us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The only way to yeah. increase or to, to incorporate new thought is to ask a question. So unless somebody's asking like a real, authentic, open-ended question, you're just kind of repeating things. You're repeating old garbage. So mm. kind of what do you do? Drop that one-liner. Let yourself know, hey, immediacy is the enemy. I don't need to respond to this right away. If I can't respond without being emotional, it's not the right time. Mm-hmm. So then I can walk away. And then how I process my emotions is to, I write it down. I journal. I want my clients to journal. 
And for me, I built in like templates that are like, you know, the space between the expectation that maybe this time it was going to be different or they'll try to finally treat you with respect and the reality of what happened that they're the same way that they have been before that space is the emotion. So right now I'm feeling frustrated because I thought we could finally have a conversation without yelling at each other, but we ended up yelling at each other. Like then it's like, you know, I, I just once wanted him to, or wanted her to just, you know, acknowledge how hard I'm working. Then we learn to give ourselves that acknowledgement. And then once we've given mm. ourselves that acknowledgement or validation or apology or acceptance or love, mm. then we don't seek it out from them so much. Mm. And yeah. then we don't have those conversations. We don't try to pull it out of them. We don't tr- seek it anymore because we're giving mm. it to ourselves. So that that is a nourishment we can give ourselves instead of looking at an empty an empty well. We're trying to draw water out of an empty well when we look to them for validation or acceptance or love mm-hmm. or so we had like that. I feel like that's a good spot to to just stop because I feel like whenever I talk too long, I, I've lost sight of what I was supposed to be saying. No. <laughs> yeah, I do that. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. Um, that's something that's been a part of my process because, um, you know, I provide a three bedroom and a playroom for my kids and a farm Montessori school. Um, that cost almost as much as our, our monthly rent here, you know, and there has been a desire in the past because I provide so for all of that, like there's no child, there's no contribution from their father. There has been this desire in the past to just hear like, man, thank you. Like, thank you for finding the school for them. Thank you for providing the school for them instead of the complaints, you know? And so, um, that's been a big part of my work is, is no longer desiring that actually, like, like finding that in other ways. Um, I'm curious if you feel, um, and I know there's no one size fits all and there's everybody's co-parenting relationships look different depending on how their relationships and their uncoupling looked, but I'm curious if you feel that it's best to have time all together as a family, you know, so that the kids still get that experience. Um, like maybe there's like, um, once a month, you guys all go to lunch or something. I know for me, I've watched a lot of this is us. And for me, that's my peaceful parenting visual is that like, we can live on the same street and, you know, we can still do holidays together and all of that. Like that's, that would be lovely. That's very ideal for me. Um, but I'm curious your thoughts on that. And if, if, if you do feel that that is best for the children, how do you handle things like triggers from their past behaviors popping up as memories or, um, or like even, so like for me, even though that's an ideal, because there was so much trauma in the relationship, it ends up not being that pleasurable, at least for me. And I'm sure the kids can feel it because I'm, my nervous system is, is, um, you know, I've, I've done so much work on it, but still my nervous system is not, it doesn't feel safe in that situation, um, because of past trauma or like, sometimes there's that fear of like, are they trying to weasel their way back in? You know, like there's so many different angles there of why, um, that cannot feel safe for somebody. But at the same time, if it's what's best for the kids, then it's like something you want to work towards. So I'm curious your thoughts on if you feel like that's really beneficial for the kids or not. 
Mm. So, and I appreciate that, that like your take on it and just the question in general, because to me, this is the perfect example of like, what happens if we focus on outcome over the process? Mm. You know, like that's an outcome. How much control do we have over outcomes? Mm. You know, I could eat healthy my whole life and still end up with cancer. Like I don't have control mm-hmm. over the outcome all of the time. So we have no control over whether we're going to get that harmonious, peaceful, mm-hmm. TV worthy co-parenting relationship. Mm-hmm. What we do have process or what we do have control over is the process. What would you need in order to get to that place? You'd have to be able to communicate. You'd have to be able to com- like have conflict resolution. You'd have to have compromise and you'd have to be able to process those emotions when they come up. So mm-hmm. when we focus on those things, when we focus on the letting go, the surrendering to not having control over the outcome, we get a mm-hmm. lot like, you know, last year, October, my, uh, my co-parent got married. I was able to go to that wedding. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, that like literally like on the way there she texted me hey can you pick up food for the um rehearsal dinner so like Mm -hmm. i'm picking up food for (laughs) like to bring to my co-parents wedding and then a month later we were able to you know i rented out this cool place here in town that has like the garage they converted into like a like a game house and a pool table ping pong arcade games i invited her and her husband and she has other uh, other kids my mom was there, my sister, a couple of my buddies. And it was like, it probably was that like TV moment. Mm-hmm. But I also went through the time where we tried to schedule that one, once a month talking, once a month sitting down together, once a month being on the same page. But it was the outcome. I was focused on, okay, let's, let's sit down and talk. Let's sit down and make this work. Let's sit down. But we weren't any like we like it would be like sitting down with the same communication skills that we left the relationship with sitting down mm-hmm. with the same emotions that we left the uh, relationship with until you're mm-hmm. willing to step back and let go of that outcome and focus mm-hmm. on the process that's going to get you there that you can repeat that like the process of if they say something triggering or they bring up an emotion that one you know that like going back to that they call you disorganized or they say you don't have your life together Okay, mm-hmm. clearly that's their raw hamburger. So they're going through something. And when I get defensive, when I'm like, oh, no, I do this, I do that, then I'm taking what their emotions are and I made their emotions about me. Mm-hmm. So you really want to get to a new spot. And this is the challenge. When you are regularly processing your emotions, you can actually validate and create space for them when they're in that emotion. Do you have to take care of their emotions? No. But do you take their emotions on anymore? No. So you're able to be able to like step back and be like, okay, I know that this isn't about me. So I'm not going to make it about, I'm not going to justify. I'm not going to defend. I'm not going to prove them wrong. I'm not going to say that they're a bad guy. I just like, man, yeah, I get overwhelmed too. Sometimes what do you, what do you, what do you think? What do you suggest? You know, what, what a powerful thing. If somebody comes at me and says, hey, I'm doing it wrong. And if they come to me and say, hey, Jay, you're co-parenting. It's all BS. Like the way that you're teaching people, you know, you got it all wrong. I could get defensive and make it all about me. Nope. I've, I've coached over 55 people and I, you know, I put in 200 hours or I've, I've read this many books or, you know, I can co-parent. But I know that whatever it is that they're triggered by, is it, it's their trigger. 
So I can make it about me and defend myself, or I can create space. Like, hey, yeah, what what do you think? Like, what is what where where did that where did you feel that in you? Hmm. And then we then yeah. we have the chance at something new. Then we have a chance at a new pattern or a new cycle. And it's gonna take time. It's gonna take time for me to get to that point. It took me time, it took me years, it took me putting myself out there publicly like you know just think that this is what it is to get there Mm -hmm. but it it was not working when my focus was the sit-down dinner when the focus was we have to be on the same page it only shifted it only became possible when I focus on the process and that's me that's my stuff It's no secret that shame-free sex and pleasure are powerful avenues to deeper connections and an overall sense of well-being. And accessible, expertly designed toys can play a big part in getting you there and making you feel more alive. Dame is leading a sexual wellness revolution as a women-powered resource for game-changing pleasure products and supportive content. Started by a sex educator and an engineering whiz, Dame develops her products based on research and feedback from people like you. They're making better sexual experiences and more pleasure available to all. Dame's easy-to-use toys and accessories are made with body-safe, doctor-approved materials and smart design principles, and they've earned glowing praise from the New York Times, the Today Show, and many more including me. Whether you're looking to shake things up with your partner or upgrade your self-care routine, they've got something for every nightstand. Even better, Dame offers three-year warranties and hassle-free returns within 60 days, so your satisfaction is literally guaranteed. And I will guarantee you satisfaction because I use their products myself. They're amazing. My favorite one is their suction toy. I call it the clit sucker, but it's Uh, spelled A-E-R. It's called AIR. It's a powerful arousal tool for fans of oral stimulation. It creates thrilling pulses of air and a soft seal around your clitoris so you can go all the way right away. Guys, I have like eight to 10 orgasms almost every time I use it. I use it during sex and in my own pleasure practice. You will not be disappointed. They're also sending me a bunch of their other products, so I'll keep you updated. But as of right now, this one's my favorite and I highly recommend it. Go to dameproducts.com and use code JADE today for 15% off your order with Dame. Now on with the show. So I'm curious, like what that process, so like we can even use a little bit more of a simpler example. Um, Like say your kid's, um, say the relationship was toxic. It was, you know, similar to what you talked about where there was, um, um, uh, betrayal, um, or maybe someone had abuse, but the, their co-parent is highly triggering for them. Just simply hearing their voice can be, can like, you know, that's not necessarily how you want to start your day, but say your kids want to do a FaceTime for good morning. Like what are some, or like they're the, the dad wants to drop the kids off and the kids are like, come in my room for a minute. And then they're in your house and like, you know, like, and there's just like that's that feeling of like, um, uh, like it just, it can jolt you. So I'm curious, like with that process, like what are some, because sometimes that can happen. It's last minute. You're not necessarily prepared for that. Right. Um, what is, what are some like, okay. Um, 
what's that? Like when you break the glass, break in case of emergency, break in case of emergency, like steps for when you feel like your nervous system is being taken over by a trigger. Like what are some, some break in case of emergency steps you could recommend? You might hate this, but I don't have breaking case of emergency stuff. Like I, okay. I, I don't, I, and the simple reason is because then like that can just become the new coping skill or that can be the new, mm-hmm. I think that what, what I'm hearing from you is like, that's fear. Whatever it is that you're describing mm-hmm. is fear-based. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when we're scared, we shrink. When we're scared, we mm-hmm. step back or step away. Mm-hmm. What we have to be willing to do is take up space. Mm. you know hey right now like or like you know right now where i'm at emotionally i can't have dad in the house i can't have Mm. mom in the house that's that's too much for me right now but you've got to be able to take up space and you got to trust that your kids are going to be okay that their emotions Mm -hmm. like them being upset with you doesn't mean you're doing a bad job doesn't mean you did it wrong it's okay to be like, hey, I can't have dad in the house or I can't do that FaceTime right now. Or maybe you take the phone and you go in the other room. I'm not going to mm-hmm. be involved because what I think that somehow gets lost is whether it's a divorce or whether it's just a splitting of a relationship. This is one of the hardest, if not hardest things people will ever do. And they want to navigate it without feeling or showing that this is emotional. Like they, like mm-hmm. I, I'll have a clarity call the first time that, they and I talk and they're apologizing for their emotions. They're crying and they're mm-hmm. going, I'm sorry. I just, I can usually keep it together. Or, you know, I'm just, I'm so sorry. I'm being emotional. And it's like, I'm like, mm-hmm. this is not the place for apologies. You feel it, be it. This mm-hmm. is what I created for you is for you to have a safe space to feel these things because this is, let's admit it. Let's be open about it. Let's talk about this realistically. This is hard. Yeah. yeah. It's it's impossible until it's not. That's what people tell themselves. It's impossible. So yes, yeah, like I'm going to cry. Yes, I'm going to have times that I can't have dad in the house. But if I keep saying I can't have dad in the house and you know and then I keep telling me he's the bad guy and I keep telling myself that story without doing any work to make it better, then I'm mm-hmm. stuck. That, that fear is mm-hmm. winning. That fear has the 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 driver's wheel, the steering mm-hmm. wheel, you know? So we have to be able to give ourselves a space and then take action. So mm-hmm. if it's triggering, then like, let's look at it. Okay. Is it a safety thing? Cause if it's a safety thing, then that's, you know, let's be realistic. I, if somebody, you know, put my body in harm or put my child's body in harm, I don't want that person in my house, regardless of their ties to my kid. So like, Hey, we mm-hmm. can do drop off. On the porch. But if it's like, mm-hmm. I am still feeling an emotion, whether it's the betrayal, whether it's the sadness, whether it's the grief, whether it's the anger. Um, you know this. Emotions are our superpower. Emotions are our truth. So those emotions are just waiting to tell us something. Those emotions are waiting to teach us. So not feeling them is is we're we're not learning that lesson. We're not giving ourselves what we could have, and then we're also giving our kids a really crappy model for how to handle the hard stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I really don't like breaking kids. I mean, I think that a big thing is like, it's okay for your kids to be upset with you. Your kids being upset does not make you a bad parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I would hope so because <laughs> my daughter's I mean, always upset with me. I made her mistake last night for, sorry. 
Yeah, I made ribeye steak last night for dinner and my daughter was mad at me about it. So (laughs) that's that when I talked about breaking down those walls between kids and co-parent, then that's just her raw hamburger. She's just she's feeling something. So if it's like, oh, she she doesn't like the ribeyes, I'm just not trying hard enough or I wasn't paying attention or why is this about me? It's just like this moment to create some space and be like, hey, yeah, I get that. Like kind of what's up? A lot of times my eight-year-old, whenever he's in those emotional spaces, he just, he 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 feels out of control. He, you know, maybe he hasn't had gotten to make a decision. Maybe at school, you know, he wanted to pick some stuff and he couldn't pick some stuff. His friends got to pick. Maybe in PE, they played kickball instead of basketball. And in class that, you know, other people got to pick their own seats. And then he had to stay in his seat. And then, you know, at the end of the school day, everybody else got to have a job and he didn't get a job. So then when he comes home and I've made macaroni and cheese and he loves macaroni and cheese, but he wanted to pick, maybe he would have picked macaroni and cheese, but he just wanted to pick. And then he's like, Oh, I hate macaroni and cheese. I don't want macaroni and cheese. I could be like, what? You love macaroni and cheese. I can go into that same justification that I was my co-parents. Right. Mm -hmm. Or I can say, okay, I know that this isn't about me. Okay, like, let me step back. (sighs) What can we do? And honestly, just asking those questions, opening up the space. When somebody else is feeling emotional, when somebody else is in their emotional space, just opening up that that open-ended question, what what can we do? He might just be like, oh, I'm just so frustrated. I'll eat it, but just, ugh. And then it's like, dude, I get it. And then we're connected. Mm -hmm. Then we're like closer. Yeah. Yeah. Autonomy is so important. I can feel that that's one of the the deepest needs of my kids is, you know, they're told what to do pretty much all day long, like time to brush your teeth, time to do this, time to do that. And if I can just give them the option of, do you want to brush your teeth now? Or do you want to play 15 minutes Monopoly and then brush your teeth? Either way, they're brushing their teeth, but it's before or after Monopoly, and it gives them this feeling of choice, and that's so healing. And you touched on fear, and I think fear really is, it really is um, the root of it. And I think that with co-parenting, if you had a co-parent that abused you, there's a lot of fear that comes up that... um, what they may do to the kids, even if they never have that fear of, of, um, well, he talked to me this way, or he broke the broke things in front of me. Is he going to do that to them? And it's like, as a mother who your number one instinct is to protect your children. It's like that fear can, can feel crippling at times. And then there's also the grief of, um, feeling tied to the person who abused you you're tied to them because you have children with them, you know? And so there's so many layers of fear and grief and the co-parenting experience that your right can really only be faced in the inner work. Um, I'm curious in those situations though, in those examples. So we talked about how to kind of do the inner work. What about communicating the boundary with that parent in a way that doesn't cause a blow up situation? So say, um, you know, the kid wants them to come in the room or they want to call for the morning and that's just not, doesn't feel good for you. How do you, how do you communicate to that co-parenting partner? Like, Hey, this, this just doesn't, it doesn't work for me. Like, how do you, how do you communicate that in a way that doesn't, because a lot of times if they feel like 
they're the bad guy, or if they feel like you don't want them around, it can trigger their shame response. So what's a, what's an effective mm-hmm. communication tip for that? So, and even, I love it. I love how, I love having these conversations, these honest conversations, because without realizing it, you kind of set up exactly what I need to say, because you said, how do I do it without causing a blow up? Mm. I don't know. (laughs) Because I can't control other people's emotions. So sometimes when I speak my truth, other people get upset. Mm-hmm. You know, but if I don't speak my truth, then I'm just delaying the inevitable. Then I'm hurting myself. And then when I'm hurting myself, then I'm putting my, our, us in a situation that we're going to have to deal with this later and it's going to be bigger. So mm-hmm. again, that fear, I can, uh, in that moment, you, I think that one thing is, it's tricky because part of it is like, we can remind ourselves that we're not in current danger. Mm-hmm. But that can be tricky if there has been danger in the past, right? And that person's in, you're in the flesh with that person. Telling yourself that you're not mm-hmm. in danger, your brain's not going to be able to mm-hmm. compute that. But mm-hmm. to me, where where I would go with it is that sense of, let's like let's really look at that fear. And one thing that I have clients do is like, there's a way to work through that fear so that it loses power over you. Because you'd said, you know, what if they treat the kids the same way? Okay, so then if they treat the kids as that way, then what? And it's like, well, then, you know, my kids would have their own trauma and maybe they would respond to the co-parent the same way that I do. Like they, you know, lose their voice or they lose their autonomy. Like, okay, and then what? Well, if they didn't have their autonomy, then they might grow up and make bad decisions and like, you know, get into things and seek external validation. Okay, and then what? And like maybe at the end of this, and then what? It's like then my kids like OD or my kids get into a car and drive off a cliff. But it's like we have to actually take that worst case scenario with thinking as far as possible. And it's like, okay, then like I'm scared that my kid would die. Okay. And if your kid died, then what? Well, you know, I'd, I'd, I guess I'd have to learn how to move on, I'd have to learn how to live life after that. And it's like, okay, then do that now. Live that way now. Live as if your greatest fear has already taken place. And just watch what happens to that fear. If you're living life as if like, as if your child has already died, and this sounds so, can sound so morbid, but if you've already taken that power away from that fear, then you're gonna show up unapologetically. Like if you had to live life after your kid, had passed away, you'd have to live unapologetically. You'd have to show up. You'd have to, like, you'd have to do the the inner work to grieve and do all of those things. So then if you showed up unapologetically now, if you spoke your truth now, if you were able to then model to your kid, this is how I've shown that this is how I figured out communicating with your co-parent. Because what I hear is that fear then is like the 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 parent removes themselves from the situation. Oh, we don't even talk anymore. We only communicate through WhatsApp or we only communicate through talking parents. We don't, I don't even communicate unless I have to. But then I send my kid there half the time or every other weekend and they're super anxious. Mm. You know, because mm-hmm. well, where are they learning how to have that relationship from? If you mm-hmm. struggle with your relationship with that co-parent and you're not modeling for your kid how to deal with it and then you send them to that parent, 
your kid has all of your tendencies. They have all Mm -hmm. of your coping skills. They have all the things that you do. Mm -hmm. So then you're sending them with that tool bag to deal with the person that you haven't figured out yet. Mm -hmm. So that's where we have to take accountability. Like that, for me, I could still, I I think that the weird thing is like, I think that I could justifiably still hate my Mm co-parent. But then one of my kids watching. Mm-hmm. But if I can get to the point where, like, my honestly, I think that one of my biggest flexes as a co-parent is that when we're together, my kids don't look between us to like see who to go to or to see like they don't look at us. They can just be. Yeah. And that because I, I've had to process how I feel about her and the stories that I tell myself about her and the stories I tell other people about her. And at this point, you know, she didn't, she didn't abuse me. Like, right. There's no, I I don't know what the word would be. I don't know what, I don't know what the word is when it's like, you don't tell the full truth. Like it's a lie by omission. Betrayal, maybe. Yeah. If Mm -hmm. I was still holding on to that, it would color all of the communication, all of the interactions. And it did. Mm-hmm. So it's that sense of, I think people really hang their hat on, well, I don't say anything bad about my co-parents. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't talk bad about them. I make sure my kids don't ever hear me talking bad about them. So what do you say? Cause it's either going to be bullshit. Like, you know, if you don't like them, if you hate them in your head and then you tell your kids that they're awesome, then what are you teaching your kids? Mm-hmm. so yeah. how do you how do you deal with it you honestly there's a lot of it, it's a lot of acceptance it's a lot of like this person is who they are and honestly for most of us they are exactly who we need them to be in order to mm-hmm. learn our lessons heal our wounds our our co-parent could be a narcissist they could be a high conflict. They could be a major butthole. You can call them whatever you want, but you better also call them a tool because they will be a great tool if you know how to use them correctly. If you know how mm-hmm. to use them, do use their consistency for you to mm-hmm. learn your life. Mm, yeah, really beautiful. Yeah, thank you. So I have a I have one more co-parenting question and then a couple of just straight parenting questions. Um, The last co-parenting question I have is about the transition back and forth. So um, I know for my kids, that transition is really difficult for my, for my daughter, especially. So I'd love to hear any tips about how to make that transition smoother or, or how to, yeah. So yeah, that's actually one of the biggest things I can give like a more step-by-step. I feel like maybe if finally somebody's like, dude, finally this guy just gives an easy answer. So what I found, <laughs> what I found, um, I've got two boys and they're seven and eight years old now. Oh, mine, mine are seven and eight too this summer. Nice. Yeah. Um, it's one, they need physical contact. Like my younger son sometimes just needs a super long hug. They need to be just to be close by them sometimes. And then definitely for the two of them, we have to wrestle. Like if we don't wrestle that first day, 
it's there's like a yeah there's like a physical play aspect for sure that comes Mm -hmm. into it um and then i also i i have to give them space because just like you know we talked about with the ribeye thing or the macaroni and cheese my kid has they have their own thoughts so when they're coming back they have oh i want to do this or i want to play with this toy or i want to do this or that so you have to give them space in order for them to kind of figure out what they're like, you know, to do their thing. If you have something planned out right away, if you're like, oh, we're going to go to the park or we're going to go to the museum or we're going to go do something right away, you're going to want to give your kids some space to like adjust. Like Mm -hmm. imagine, and especially if you're a parent who prides yourself on structure and pride yourself on the routine. And then you're like, oh, when they go to their other house, they just come back and they're all loopy and they're all, you know, they're all hyped up on sugar and they're tired and they're emotional. They're all of these things. Imagine that you, for whatever reason, if you're that structured person, went out for like a three weekends with your best buds. And like you went out, you went drinking or you went out partying, you stay up late, you, you, you know, you have a really good time. You don't want to like jump back in and be like, all right, Monday morning, I've got to get like, you know, it's, that would be a jolt. If you did it, you would need coffee or a Red Bull or like nobody to talk mm-hmm. to you for the first two hours of work. Like trust that your kids just like partied all weekend. Yeah, yeah. And treat it like almost like almost like a hangover. It's just like, okay, let's just slow things down. Let's give them time to ease back in. And then mm-hmm. maybe the next day. Because just like you would with a hangover, sometimes it's the second day. Like they come back on a Sunday. You get through Sunday night. You might be dealing with most of the stuff on Monday. That's what I mm-hmm. found. That like Monday, mm-hmm. the day after they come back is like the dysregulated part. So if you're like, oh, good, we, we made it through Sunday nights for scot-free, and then you wake up Monday and you're like, oh, I thought you guys were okay. I thought you guys were better. You guys don't you don't act like this. This is only because you were at dad's house or this is only because you were at mom's house. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, they still need that adjustment period. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. a big one is what you do while they're gone. But that's one thing that like, you know, it's it, it going to come back to self-leadership, but it's so, I love the double standards and the irony around like, oh, they just have so much screen time. They just stay up so late. But then the co-parents I've talked to, like, don't get out of bed and they scroll on their phone all weekend or they're drunk or they're high the whole time. And it's like, oh, but them over there, they're doing such a bad job, but you're in bed and you can't take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, again, I could focus on what somebody else is doing. I could focus on what I don't have control over, or I can get out of bed. I could take a shower. I could eat a real meal. I can get out of bed. Mm-hmm. I can take a shower. I can eat a real meal. I can go outside and go for a hike. You know, I mm-hmm. can take a pottery class. I could just sit. But you know, it's how do we take care of ourselves when they're gone? Because if mm-hmm. we're just, you know, I have this reel in my head that it's like you almost just like wave goodbye. And then time stops until they come back. It's like, oh, you're like, okay. Then you almost press pause. And you press pause when they're gone. And then you don't press play until they come back. Mm -hmm. And then you're wondering why it's hard for you to regulate your emotions. Because maybe Mm -hmm. it's for kids to to fill your cup. And when they're Mm -hmm. gone, you don't have anything else. Mm -hmm. So it's how how full are you when they get back? Mm Mm-hmm. So to yeah. me, it's like, you know, give them what they need, parent the kid in front of you, give them space and take care of yourself. And if you do those three things, like, 
you know, other people have like these specific answers of like, you know, have a, have a specific activity. And like me and my kids, we play war, like the, the simple card game, we play war at all of our meals. So like, it's just kind of getting back into those types of things. You know, I'm not going to expect, I, I actually, I'm going to expect some new words or some, you know, some of the behaviors to be a little bit wild. I'm going to expect some of those things. So I make a little bit more space for them. And I don't expect them to like not like I expect them to just be human. <laughs> you know, like if I and I don't this is and this was a huge thing that I had to let go of. When they act up, act up, quote unquote, I don't look for blame. I don't look for a fault. I don't look for like a bad guy anymore. <laughs> Not, yeah, so that was that was one of the next things I was going to ask you was about sibling rivalries, um, which isn't necessarily about co-parenting, but uh, yeah, I'm curious how you deal with those. Your kids are the same age as mine, and mine are just rivalry has been so big lately, um, and sometimes guilt creeps in there of like this is the example we set for them because we fought so much in front of them, and um, and. I'm, I'm really trying to figure out how to, I guess, give them this feeling of like, we're a team. I haven't really figured out how, what angle to take with the sibling rivalries. Um, I, I do feel good at not looking for blame. Like I don't point out the bad guy or like, well, you did this first. I don't do that. But I had, oh man, the sibling rivalries have been really strong. So this is where, and this is why I actually really love about your content is that you tap into like masculine and feminine energies, right? And like polarity is a balance, right? And uh, to me, that was a huge shift in how I thought about my kids. Like it can be hard when we give both our kids the same amount of food. And it's like, if you don't eat your food, you don't get dessert. Or, you know, we, we judge them in, in equality. We judge them, we, we treat them as equals. We treat them as, you know, almost two square pegs. Even if we're putting them in square holes, we treat them both as square pegs. My kids are wildly different from each other. Wildly different. Mine too, so, they're exact opposites. So let them yin and yang each other. Like let them, let one be great at things. Let the other like take the take like they they can switch leadership they can they can be leader and follower they and then they can switch but if i'm always like if i'm always setting the example is there's one way to do it or there's like this is good or this is bad then it's like well one of them is going to get screwed if they're different and there's one yeah. definition of good then one screwed you know and it could yeah. be different things for different ones but I, I really see like a masculine and feminine energy at play in my kids that like, honestly, I swear my kids are just the perfect model for co-parenting. Like the way that they talk <laughs> to each other, the way that they interact, it's every co-parenting situation and dilemma. Uh, it's like they talk to each other, the way that they like get each other, the way that they each other. It's co-parenting. It's like, oh, one's bothering the other one and then Wayne, he's fine and this one's left you know, picking up all the pieces and then mm -hmm. they switch. So it, I've really learned how to let it be learning. I've let it not trigger me because what I find is that when I let them play it out, when I, I let them do it, 
with mm-hmm. less impact and input from me, they get to their own conclusions. They find their own uh, answers. It's so true. It's but my when own, I get like, involved. Yeah. It's because I don't want to hear it. I, I don't want to be down. around it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A huge mm-hmm. thing for me was that, you know, they will yell and cuss at each other. Mm. And it's just one, it's so wild because it's so, it, it would not be something that I would allow. And I know that people are like, well, Jay, you're the parent. How, like, what do you mean you don't want to allow it? But like, I'm not going to punish, I'm not going to like punish them for saying bad words. I don't, I, that would be a, its own conversation. But like, what I had to realize was that it was like, they'd yell and cuss and it would just, it, it was inside me that it would just feel ugly and it would hurt. It would hurt me. It was painful for me because nobody's going to talk to each other that way with, unless they're in pain. So it was mm-hmm. like, I was in pain because clearly my kids are in pain. If they're like teary eyed, cussing, yelling, trying to hit each other. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, I have to settle my heart. I have to settle my body so that I can see this as they're showing me how well they can handle their emotions. They're showing me how far they can get emotionally processing. They're showing Mm -hmm. me something. Mm -hmm. So I let it play out. And then it's like later, say, hey, that happened. And we're able to, you know, if I intervene, then I'm also triggered. I'm also emotional. Then we kind of lose sight of progress. But if I almost let it play out, then it's like, okay, what happened? How can we, how can we, what do we need next time? Because it's almost like, I know you don't feel good when you're doing that. Like, I know, I know it. I, I can feel it. No energy that mm-hmm. comes out of something when it's like that feels good. Mm-hmm. So what can we do with that energy instead? Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. All right. So I have one more question and then um, like a closure and the lightning round. I want to check in with you in time because I know we're a couple minutes over. Is that okay? I think that, yeah, we'll just keep going. And I, I've enjoyed this a lot. So I'm, I'm okay. okay. So I don't know if you coach on this or not, but I'm sure you've had to figure it out in your own life. So I'm curious, what are your tips for dating when you have kids and you're a single parent? Because um, there's a side of like, who has the time? Like who has the time to date? You know, like I played Monopoly for like two hours yesterday. After this, I have to go pick up my kids, take them to soccer, you know, do dinner, bath time, bedtime. Like, I don't know how someone even fits that in, but then there's also the feeling of like, uh, introducing your people, your kids to new people or like navigating that, or if they have kids and like, there's just so much. So I'm curious what that journey has looked like for you, what tips you have and, um, yeah, any, any thoughts? So I think that this is, this is one of the places that I will understand that my role as a man and as a dad might be different um, mm-hmm. than like a single mom or a mom. Um, because for I, I attract high quality people. 
Mm. Right. So like my kids have met different people that I've dated, but I've never brought a woman around them that like didn't add value to their life. Mm. So for mm-hmm. me, it's like, I, I almost see it as a net positive. That's beautiful. Right. That like, right. And I think that that, but that's also, you know, their mom, um, she always knows, right? She she gets heads up. She you know she she knows before anything major happens. Um, but what I've noticed, uh, especially now that they're older, is that you know as they've gotten older, their questions have gotten more in depth, right? Their their questions mm-hmm. have gotten more um, impressive. To be completely mm-hmm. honest, it's like dang, okay, uh, I didn't have to worry about that three years ago, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so. <Yeah>. so that, <laughs> So, you know, for me, um, I personally realized that like one, that's a, like, I, I haven't had a person. I haven't, um, really found that relationship that I feel like is going to happen for me. Mm -hmm. Um, when I try to force that, like with anything, my heart hurts. My, I, I end up in situations I'm, you know, uh, giving up boundaries or, you know, maybe choosing that person over my kids or mm-hmm. getting caught in between. Right. When mm-hmm. I'm trying to force that relationship, it gets messy. Mm-hmm. And it's again, like, I, I think that people are going to listen to this and be like, dude, this guy is either full of complete crap or like, <laughs> just doesn't know how to answer a question truthfully or straightforward. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you will attract what you like you will attract the energy you give out mm-hmm. like I, I i believe you can manifest the person of your dreams i i believe you will manifest 100%. a relationship but mm-hmm. it's like that's what you got to be focused on like i think mm-hmm. that this is what people don't get is that everyone listening to this you have manifested everything in your life mm-hmm. like everything that your life that you have right now it's because you said you were going to have it or not have it. Yeah. So like when yeah. people are like, oh, I could just never write that book or I could never run a 5K or I could never date. Okay, mm-hmm. you won't date. And then when you start running for that 5K, you'll stop because you told yourself you couldn't do it. So mm-hmm. if you're gonna date, you're gonna find shitty people to date and then you're not gonna wanna date. So then it's like, oh, I just don't wanna get, you know, and people will say, you know, I just, I just don't want my kids to get hurt. Who do they mm-hmm. not really wanna get hurt? themselves because they're not attracting high quality people they're not attracting the right Mm -hmm. people so Mm -hmm. you know me where i'm at is that i'm realizing this fatherhood wound is it is a deep one Mm -hmm. and i will continue to attract high quality women but until i'm ready to heal that wound i'm not gonna be able to commit to the right one Mm -hmm. so Mm-hmm. where it's at for me it's like i can continue to force it i can but i i know where the wall is i know where i know myself and i think that like anybody listening to this if they were honest with themselves they know the answer too should i be dating am i ready all those questions we know we know the answers we're so intuitive humans are so intuitive yeah. you already mm-hmm. know it's about like what are you doing mm-hmm. to avoid that truth like what are you telling yourself instead of that truth so it's I know that like when I really face that childhood wound, and I think that for me, like I just had a conversation about it and like the word claim, 
Like I haven't, I haven't made claim of many things, whether it's my space or even my body or, you know, when, when I get in relationships, I don't claim that person. When I get to a point where I'm ready to claim the other person and like really take ownership of it, ownership of my responsibilities, ownership of my place in the relationship, I know that person's going to show up. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like it's just, I know everything else. Yeah, everything else is showing up exactly at the right time. So yeah. dating is no different. Relationships are no mm-hmm. different. Love is no different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, that's really beautiful. Thank you. That applies so much um, to not only dating and, and finding the time, but also to the book I want to write as well. It really does apply. So thank you. So I wanted to end on a beautiful... Um, note um, before the little lightning round that I always use to close the show, but in the spirit of autonomy, I'll give you the option (laughs) of deciding if you want to speak on, to close out, if you want to speak on dad's leaving a legacy or your message to all moms, or you can do a little bit of both, whatever you want. It's your choice. (laughs) So I think that I'm going to speak on dads. Um, Okay. Because there was a only honestly only because you said something very very early on about growing up without a dad that like I that really resonated and it was something along along the lines of like kind of not having experiences that you might otherwise have had if he had been around you would have you would have had different experiences Mm -hmm. and. yeah, like about a month ago, uh, I was, we, my son and I, my older son, and he's eight, uh, we were, I forgot what we were doing. It was like a day that I was like intentionally trying to connect with him. I was like intentional about it, looking for opportunities, trying to do it. He really loves Pokemon. So I was trying to get into that. And at one point, um, like my younger son is like the more openly cuddly kid. My older son, I got to work for and get lucky sometimes. Um, and mm-hmm so we they have bunk beds we were up in his bunk bed we were looking at the pokemon and then like i think i laid down i think he kind of like laid down and leaned into me and i do this thing sometimes where i kind of hug them and squeeze them so tight that they can't breathe um (laughs) but like this one like this time i just like held him tightly like he could breathe but it was just almost like this like just this like the tight as I could hold him where he was safe and comfortable and like 10 seconds in we're still doing it at 20 seconds in, I just feel his body melt like you know that mm-hmm. feeling like, I don't know if you've done it like when you're being cuddled but like when you just surrender it just like the word surrender came to my mind and I was like whoa we're in a moment right now like he's really giving himself to me right now and then like 30 seconds later, I was like, whoa, I've never experienced this before. Mm. Like, I've never been held by a man before. You know, I've hugged my friends. You know, I I have guy friends. I got a good group of guy friends. We've hugged. But to be held like that in like a grown man's arms and I surrender to him. I was like, I'm holding myself right now. Hmm. It was okay. He disappeared. He he was still there, obviously, but he disappeared and I was holding me. And 
it like broke me. It like opened this new door that like, that's just not an experience I will ever have. That is an experience Mm -hmm. I missed out on. And it's an experience I can give my kids every single day. And what it did was that it made me realize that this program that I've created, this co-parent coaching business that I've created is exactly that. I want to hold people through their, like the toughest part of their life. I want to like squeeze them tight, let them know that they are safe so that they know that they're safe, that they can work through this stuff. I've created an entire business that is like now affecting multi-generations across the world, right? I've had people in Australia work. I've had people in the UK. I've had people in Europe. Like it's, I've worked with people across the world. Their kids will now benefit it. Who That means that their kids will now benefit from it. And I, that moment showed me that I still have that wound. So I can make this like a billion dollar enterprise with affecting millions of people's lives. But if I still need to be held like that and I don't give that to myself, I don't find out how to fill that void, then I'm going to be empty. Like I'm going to end up a billionaire, like a really unhappy, unfulfilled, empty billionaire. And I really think that that's like, that would be a possibility if I hadn't had that moment. So Mm -hmm. when it comes to legacy, when it comes to doing these things, dad's like, what we have to do is show up. What we have to do is know that like when the mom is upset, that's not a, that's not a reason to deviate. That's not a reason to alter the course. That's not a reason to get scared or shrink or step back. It's our job to direct, guide the ship. It's our job to like, if she's upset, we don't, we don't change course and go fix it and then get back on course. We understand that they're going to be upset. We're going to make decisions that we get it wrong. We're going to make, we're going to make mistakes, but if we make a mistake and then we go or we vanish or we shrink, how are they going to feel safe? How are they going to trust us? Like we have to, like the legacy is like dad was there. Dad didn't always get it right, but like dad kept showing up. So mm-hmm. to me, I guess all of that to say the impact of my dad not being there, I'm just now scratching the surface. So I've already given my kids such a head start just by being there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I really that, beautiful. Yeah. That was a big moment for me. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that's really beautiful. And I I celebrate that part of it. And I also celebrate, um, you know, you said your work is multi-generational and it is like you're working with parents. So you're shaping also the children's lives and how they're going to, who they're going to grow up to be. And so it's really incredible work that you're doing. And I'm, I'm so thankful for it. So yeah, I can't imagine if this was the norm when we were kids this type of work, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Yeah. So a lot would be different. A lot would be different. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a few short questions that I end every show with. The first one is if you could have the whole world read one book, what would it be? Um, Honestly, so there's this book by Caroline Pratt. Uh, She was a progressive educator in the 1920s. Um, 
and it's called I Learn from Children. And it's hmm. to me, like, you know, you're, you're, you said you have a Montessori school or you send them to a Montessori school. Um, I think that the way that we, that like our public education system is like one of the most detrimental things we have going in the society. Um, mm-hmm. And the way that she talks about education is very like, like child empowering, um, mm-hmm. uh, applicable. I think there's just the ideas that get shared mm-hmm. in that book are just, um, I would say revolutionary, but they're just so simple. They're just so human based that even if you don't agree with it, you wouldn't be able to read it without thinking. And I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. If you could whisper one phrase to everyone on the planet, what would it be? Wow. Um, tell yourself you love yourself more. Like, yeah. like, I think that like, especially in our, our, like, when you're a co-parent, when you're a single parent, like, you got to tell yourself you love you. Like, you got to say that a lot. I say it when I'm going to bed, like, all right, I love you, Jay. Someone's got to <laughs> say it. <laughs> Someone's got to say it. So, yeah, no, that one, I, there's a lot, a lot ran through my mind, but I feel like that one, like the, the self-love, like that's mm-hmm. been. Yeah. Beautiful. Lastly, if you could hug your younger self right now, what would you say? That one, I'm still figuring out. Mm-hmm. I think it would be along the lines of like, yeah, man, this isn't fair. Mm. like yeah I think that sometimes we like try to like bypass like the it wasn't fair but you know everybody's got to deal with their stuff or you know it it wasn't great but you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think I would just say man yeah I get it like I see you man it's not this isn't fair yeah validation yeah Beautiful. Okay. So tell us where we can find you, where people can find your, you have a, like a single parenting group. Where can people get involved in that? Where can they sign up with your work? Where can they find you on Instagram? All the things. Yeah. So right now I have a 12 week program. Um, it's like the coachable coat parenting foundations. Um, you can sign up through that. I have a link tree on my Instagram. So at Jace Gibbons. Um, if you want to talk to me there, we do a clarity call that's on the link tree as well. And then, yeah, I just started a, a ongoing course. That's going to be like a co-parenting library of just like the basics, how to communicate, how to handle your emotions, how to handle their emotions. Um, and that's going to be a monthly subscription that's like really affordable. So anybody can really make that happen. Um, and that all the links will be on my bio in Instagram. So just start there and, uh, there are different ways to work with me depending on your budget and your needs. The 12 week course is going to be much more in depth. You get me, you get group work and you get one-on-one work. So like if you're really wanting to change your life, go that way. And if you just want to start with the basics, start with the monthly course. Awesome. And I believe your Instagram is your name at Jay Skibbins, right? Correct. Yes. 
Awesome. Thank you so much. Again, your work is, um, it, it feels really, really important. And, and, uh, the, it's the, the part of it being multi-generational feels really powerful because it's you're we spoke in the beginning of this call that you're breaking curses with these two boys, but you're also helping break curses among other families as well. So it's just really beautiful. And, and I just want to thank you for that. Well, cool. No, it's uh, <laughs> like I said, it's who would have thought that, you know, one of the biggest potential bonds I have with my kids is like none of the three of us know our real bio dad, right? Like what a Aww. weird connection, but like, they're like, who yeah. would be better to help them navigate that than me? So mm. I think that maybe that's what I would say. Other than like that, that what, like write your own story. Like that's, People try to write my story for me, even my mom. And it was like, no, this is on me. So yeah, you write your own story and it's, it's a freaking masterpiece. Yeah. The book, the erotic and the holy that's, that's to live in Eros is to live your own story. So really beautiful. I wasn't aware that they didn't know that you were not their biological dad either. So that's a beautiful. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was, uh, they know, and uh, that gets thrown in my face sometimes when they're upset, but it's, uh, it's, part, of the, it's part of the journey. But it's like, yeah, yeah it's, it, I think that that's empowering for them. I think it's empowering that they'll, now they'll be able to make their own decisions. And I truly think I will be the person to help them walk through that. Like I'll be well yeah. suited for it no matter what they need. So. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this wisdom. I'm sure there is a lot of relief from the listeners as they heard the answers. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time. I think that like my first year, like 2021, I, would, I did more podcasts and like things like that. And I took mm-hmm. last year off. And I feel like it's just there's a better space for it now. So I appreciate you reaching out. I appreciate us yeah. doing it. And it's just, uh, yeah, you've got like a really cool energy. It's uh, Thank you. It, I like watching people think and you like you're thinking, I can tell you were thinking like the whole time. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. My best friend always tells me that if he could hook up like power cords to my brain, he could um, <laughs> provide a whole city with electricity. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. And it's I told them that they'd have a lot of power outages. So <laughs> yeah, but it is. And so I, and even that, that way of, being can be especially hard in co-parenting because like it's you can't think your way out of it you can't there's no there's not always a logical endpoint. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I can imagine that yeah. this has been stressful this has been a big challenge for sure mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah yeah I do I mean it's it's interesting because so much of my work is in the body, like getting people into their body. You can't think your way out of your trauma. You can't think your way into pleasure. Like it has to be in the body. And for the most part, I tend to be in that realm. Um, but I'm also on the spectrum. And so I get like on things that I want to figure out. I get very like solution oriented, like, all right, let me figure this out. Like a little Rubik's cube, like, okay, I'm going to, I'm gonna just put this here and I'm put that here. And so, yeah, it's, uh, there's pros and cons. <laughs> yeah, no, no. And honestly, I think that your work part, I think part of the reason that we've connected is like that your work is like very, 
timely for like what my journey is right now too that like there is like a um my relationship with like you know that sense of like claiming claiming my own body is like uh Mm -hmm. much more I don't know the right word would be like my uh, I guess the cliche like treating it like a temple and like not Mm -hmm. like I almost feel like yeah, it's like a reclamation like in a sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's it's a, a very, it's a, this has been an interesting journey. Like, this, <laughs> I don't know how you feel yeah. about life, but. Yeah. <laughs> how, like, how big do you feel? Like, when you, like, when you think about who you are and what you are, like, how big are you? Mm-hmm. When you say big, what do you mean by big? Like expansive? I guess. Like it's like when I think about like what I'm doing. I feel limitless, if that's what you mean. Because yes. if you think about, I mean, you think about where we came from compared to what where we're at now, it feels really limitless. Like, I mean, single like I'm sure you can you can resonate, but like single mom who was always stressed out but was very, very violent. And I left home at 12 and to now look at the life I'm at, like, I didn't think, I didn't think I was gonna at 15, like I was pretty much homeless. And last week I was in Greece with a bunch of sisters and I like just paid for it myself. And with all these other women who are like, just, I don't like to use the word boss babes because they just don't really like it, but like (laughs) they're in that, that type of energy. and. I mean, the whole time I was like near tears because I was just thinking like, wow, like at 15, I never thought that I would even graduate high school. I never thought that I would really have much of anything. And, you know, yeah, I didn't dream up that I would be a single mother, but it look how beautiful I'm making it too, you know, and, and that, that feels big. That feels, I don't, I don't know that I feel big, but I feel, I feel limitless, and I feel like possibilities are endless at this point, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that sometimes I ask a question in my wording and I, I think that it allows the other person to like take it for what it is. And that's, that, that's, that answer resonates that, that is, mm-hmm. it's like, honestly, and I'm, I don't know how it is with you, but I feel like that's the, that's what I try to like, f- like channel through myself into my clients is like, Mm-hmm. I'm in very limited. They come in very uh in a box. And I feel like that's yeah. what I try to pass through to them. It's like that that same feeling of mm-hmm. anything being possible. So yeah. And I feel like that's like you can just feel it, right? You can feel it from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. I, I was excited when when we connected and and made this possible. All right, you guys. I do hope that you found some relief in that conversation. I know I got some gold nuggets. Um, Everybody's co-parenting situation is different and everybody's single parenting is different. So there's no one size fits all. So there's probably parts of this that would not fit for you. And I know that I interviewed someone else a couple of years ago on co-parenting and as badly as I wanted to apply it all, it just didn't fit for me. Um, 
and, and it helped. It definitely helped. And there were gold nuggets, but for the most part, it didn't fit my situation. So just know that like in this conversation, things that you heard that don't fit, cool. Like you don't have to use them, but things that, um, you can pull something from, pull from them and, and hopefully find relief in them. Um, I, I can feel from him that he, he, I could feel his, his honesty and his rawness. And like, this isn't something he's making up. This is something that like, uh, just like all of us, we're figuring it out as we go along. And this is what has worked for him. And, um, yeah. And I really appreciate it. And I feel like, um, a good portion of it's going to work for me. So, ah, it's a never ending journey. Okay. So I will thank my affiliates guys. I am so excited. Um, when I was in Greece, um, a couple, I don't know when at this point that this is airing a couple weeks ago, maybe, um, I had a couple of really beautiful, uh, visions of programs that I'm going to be releasing. So one is the pleasure priestess all about connecting to your pleasure and, um, different ways to have pleasure. And then one is the untamed and unashamed man, which is basically just like the women's program I had, but for men. And then a third one is a course just on Jade Egg. So Jade Egg is using a Jade Egg is such a powerful tool for so many different things. And I'm so in love with the Jade Egg. So those are three programs that I have coming out soon. Um, the landing pages are not ready, but if you'd like to go to my website, jade-bryce.com and just sign up for my newsletter, you'll at least hear about those programs once they become live, because they will, it will happen in the next week or two. Um, or you could just keep listening to the podcast and I'll tell you about them. Um, it would really, um, be great though, if you could sign up for the newsletter, just because I love to connect with people in that way. And then another affiliate is Gene Keys. That is Richard Rudd's programs. I love the Gene Keys. I'm also really getting into Enneagram. I didn't know it was such an ancient like thing. I thought it was like a new trend. I didn't know it. It was, it dated back to the Sufi mystics. So I'm really excited about it. I'm an Enneagram four, in case you were wondering. But Gene Keys is another type of internal GPS system um, that is really powerful and similar in a in lots of ways to things like Enneagrams. Um, if you use the link in the show notes. It will send you to the dreams, the, the dream um, course, which is basically how to use your dreams for enlightenment. But if you use that link to also um, click on anything else, use anything else on his site, like uh, his love course or his prosperity course, then the show does make a small cut. And that's one way you can support the show. And I would be so thankful. That link is in the show notes, but it's Gene Keys, G-E-N-E, keys.com forward slash the dash dream dash A-R-C forward slash R-E-F 1707 forward slash. Again, that's in the show notes. Just swipe up on the cover image and it'll send you to the notes. And then the best toys for sex at dameproducts.com code Jade gets you 15% off. My favorite is the air, the A-E-R. It's basically a clit sucker and it is, uh, it's, it's powerful. And I like to pair it with the pleasure wand or yoni egg that I have from wands.com, W-A-A-N-D-S.com. I love my cervical wand and my yoni egg, my jade egg. It's why I'm creating those courses because of how much 
Those tools have changed my life. Code Jade for a discount there as well. And then all things infrared at higherdose.com. Code Jade75 for $75 off. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and being on this journey with me. It would mean so much if you'd leave a review or share an episode with a friend. You can also join me on Instagram at Untamed and Unashamed Podcast. As always, be a light, stay open, and remember, you belong here. But we got what it takes for the circle.